Well, I'm curious to hear because the typical American Horror Story audience, I feel like, is relatively young. I mean, it's diverse, but I feel like it's yeah, yeah. it appeals to a younger demographic. And, you know, I think for you and I, we, you know, were kids around the 80s or in the 80s for a portion of it. And so mm-hmm. to us, that strikes a particular nostalgic chord. But to a younger generation who wasn't around in the 80s or around, you know, yeah, you know, maybe kids who were yeah. born around the year 2000 or something. I'm curious to hear whether the 80s still has that kind of appeal to them or not. I agree. Know, whether yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That, I yeah. guess it's I, like I mean, for me or you, like, watching stuff that took place in the 70s. Yeah, I'd love to hear some responses from people who, you know, maybe were born, I don't know, 1995 or after, and who don't feel particularly affinity <laughs> in the 80s, just to see what you think of kind of some of this nostalgic stuff. I mean, yeah, the Stranger Things, is it popular because of the 80s, or is it popular because of... Um, just kind of a fun, crazy plot. I don't know. Good storytelling, yeah. I guess we will find out this season. But uh, without yep. further ado, should we dive into it? Good morning, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast of the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Houston. What's up, everyone? We're back. Welcome yes. back, everybody. Episode one. Season nine. Welcome Episode to camp. One. Camp Redwood. That's right. We are recording in the AM because, you know, um, sometimes, you know, when the season premiere happens and it happens to go over its allotted time by a good half hour and stuff comes up and, you, you know, you just end up going to bed early. But with the idea of waking up early the next morning to record an episode for the podcast, get it out there, yep. talk about, I don't know. I like to think of it as you kind of got to let the ideas from the episode stew a little bit, so that way we can come back to them with a, a bit of a I like to do that every now and then, yeah. Yeah, it helps switch things up. That being said, it does mean that, for instance, I'm drinking coffee this morning instead of the red wine I was drinking last night, so it yeah. offers a little bit of a different feel for the show. How about you? Are you drinking some coffee this morning? Yeah, I have my coffee, uh, Kona coffee with some hazelnut creamer. Uh, last night I was drinking uh, a little whiskey to calm the nerves. <laughs> mm. That is something I want to talk about in just a couple of minutes. But before we begin, as always, we love you guys to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. New season's just getting kicked off. We love to uh, pull, more pe- pull more people into the community and keep the conversations going. We like to have debates and discussions and all sorts of different things, theory posting on the web there. You can also find us... Um, well, you can email us directly at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We always read all those emails. We try to respond to as many as we can. And a lot of times we like to bring those topics of conversation to the show itself. And finally, please rate us, review us on iTunes. We really appreciate that. And the more ratings and reviews we get, the wider the audience becomes and the more people we can bring into this community to enjoy this kind of a fun and exciting new season. Yeah. I uh, loved this episode. <laughs> man, it feels fun. It feels fun to be back. So, with that being said, my friend, I'm wondering if you... Okay, so, we start in 1970. This whole scene feels very reminiscent of Halloween, but also... Or, sorry, Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, absolutely. But, so, that being the case, and you being a resident Friday the 13th expert, I'm wondering if you could walk us through what happens here. Right, so we have your classic teenagers getting into sexual uh, situations that might put them in danger of getting murdered. 
we have two ladies, and immediately it seems like it's going to be a lesbian affair. But then, uh, oh, there's a dude that pops up. So we have our first threesome. Upping the <laughs> right ante the with the threesome right off the bat. Right, yeah. right out the gate. <laughs> um, and their uh, counselors, one of them seems to be a little more uh, shy, naive perhaps, uh, and the other guy and girl are trying to coerce her into participating in this but surprise surprise there's some sounds that are being heard and this is happening in um at a camp in a uh cabin with children in that cabin i think i think it was children or no it was counselors sorry it was all counselors because that would have been really inappropriate but they hung up a sheet so they're hooking up uh and the girl who's shy about it uh starts freaking out because she hears sounds and they're is the perspective, the iconic Jason Voorhees perspective of the killers uh, with the, the, the way the camera's being shot, spying in on the cabin, approaching the cabin, getting into the cabin. Uh, from that killer's perspective, we've seen that in a few other horror movies. I even think I almost heard a reference in the scoring there. Not exactly, but it sounded enough like it. Anyway, um, the girl takes her shirt off while the other the, the other guy and girl are making out, and as, it was kind of a cool transition. As she's pulling the shirt over her head, we kind of have her perspective, and within that split second that her, her shirt's coming off, we see the two people making out, and then the shirt passes by the lens of the camera, and the, the people making out are stabbed through the head, through their mouth, still connected. She's freaking out. Uh, she's... To, she falls out of bed, tries to get away, and she gets stabbed right through the eye. And then we see what is going to be the iconic uh, killer technique or MO, which is cutting off an ear for a souvenir. Souvenir, get it? Ha <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that this particular scene, there's a couple key things that you've kind of uh, you've set out right or, or alluded to that is worth doubling down on. First one being, we talked about this, you know, first person view being key in not only in Friday the Thirteenth but also in other movies like Sleepaway Camp from this era. So mm-hmm. fitting that you know we kind of predicted that this would play a role already playing a role immediately in this season. Um, also, kind of iconic deaths. With the knife through both heads at once. We're, I, I mean, we saw a couple different ones in this episode already. That's kind of a trademark of this genre that I'm really glad they're already, um, you know, playing up to, to a certain point. Uh, this was, as we talked about, a very Friday the 13th homage in a very direct way. And I think it was aware of that um, in a cool way. I, I, I'm hoping that it's trying to set expectations for us that, like, this is, you know, we're going to do justice to right. the slasher movies of the 80s. And um, finally, you know, even the the camera lens and kind of the cinematography here had that kind of grittiness to it that you see in a lot of 80s movies. I don't know if that's particularly, you know, especially from film. In the 80s, I'm not sure if it was from using film instead of the way, you know, today we use digital. Uh, a lot of filmmakers, you know, film digitally. Um, or what exactly. I'm not sure whether they used film here or whether that was just a special filter that they put in place. Yeah. But it definitely right. took on the feel. Um, of course, what we'll learn later is that at least... So this is a question I had for you, and I might, I'm just, I might as well just ask it now. Um, the camp counselor that we know ends up being played by Margaret... Uh, so Margaret Booth, played by Leslie Grossman, the camp director... Um, we know is one of the people in this room who gets her ear cut off. She's not, to clarify, one of the people involved in the threesome, correct? She's just one of the other correct. camp counselors that was correct. laying on the yep. bed. Okay. Yep. Yep. That she is what laying, I thought. Ends up I laying by the door. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, I mean, man, uh, in my opinion, a hell of a way to kind of get things started, set expectations in the right way. Uh, I was really pleased with it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Also, I mean, we talked about the kind of more focus of those three murders, but I counted the bodies as the camera's pulling out away from the back of the cabin, which where the, where the people were that were hooking up, and there were nine bodies um, there. So later in the in the episode when Nurse Rita is saying 10 people died, I was like, I, I counted nine, and mm-hmm. it was nine bodies. And you just see, it was, and I believe it's the, it was the, the women's cabin or the girls' counselor's cabins because it looked like it was all women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you might be right there. Uh, thoughts on the credit Great sequence? Scene. Obviously, that debuted yeah. a little bit before. Um, you know, I think Ryan Murphy had posted it beginning of the week or maybe last week, end of last week. I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Like, it was fun. It was silly. It's exactly that type of 80s nostalgia using the kind of neon font. And uh, it, it does kind of remind me of uh, what we saw in Stranger Things season three three this past time around with like Starcourt, the mall, things that were big in the 80s, malls, uh, aerob- aerobics, uh, like jazzercise stuff, uh, the, the, uh, um, the, and then we get, but then we get it cut up with uh, people like at the lake or in the woods and shots of a broken down car, kind of iconic type scenes that you will see in slasher films. Uh, cassette players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it was awesome. I loved it. And then like lots of blood splatter and things happening and the killer kind of roaming about. I think it's different than any other credit sequence they've ever done uh, just because it's so heavy on the 80s inspiration and nostalgia that it works really cool. It, it may, almost makes it feel like a different show. I agree with you that I think it does. It has a totally different feel than a lot of the past credit sequences we've seen. I do like how they still are able to incorporate kind of a eighties-ized version of the typical theme song, um, and I think you really hit on something when you say it almost feels like a different show because, to some degree, you know, we are starting over with a mostly new cast or at least a cast mm-hmm. that is anchored not by our typical cornerstones of Sarah Paulson or Jessica Lang or of Evan Peters, and so. At least kind of be, you know, again, there's a certain degree of self-awareness to it. And, and maybe they're, you know, preparing us for the approach they're going to take and kind of it, the fact that it is going to be a little bit different this season. And I'm as long as they aren't trying to make it. I mean, I, I think that's probably the right approach, frankly, is if you're going to have a completely pretty much completely new cast, don't try to make it an Evan Peters vehicle without Evan Peters or Sarah Paulson or something along those lines. Don't try to make it the same old American Horror Story necessarily. Obviously, it has to have some of the same elements to draw us in the same crowd. But, you know, the show's been around for nine seasons now. And it's like, let's uh, if we're going to have a whole new series or set of, of cast members, let's let them kind of do their thing. Mm-hmm. So, right. That being the case, let's dive into a little bit. The summer of 1984. Um, right off the bat, we kind of meet our squad, I guess, in a very visual way with the names popping up on the screen in the aerobics class. Um, let me go through our people here. we got Xavier, played by Cody Fern. He's kind of the aerobics instructor. We have Montana, who's played by Billy Lord. Ray, who's played by Deron Horton. Chet, uh, who's Gus Kenworthy. And, of course, Brooke, who's played by Emma Roberts in this class. Um, I really enjoyed Billy Lord's faces during this sequence. She's, I think that Montana's a pretty funny character already. She's a great character. They, they, uh, you know, I'll give it to all these people. Well, we'll get into each of them as they, as they, as their stories develop. But they're all nailing their characters. Uh, I, I want to give particular 
uh, accolades to Billy Lord for doing the good job with Montana. And actually, I think Emma, uh, I almost said Watson, uh, Emma Roberts, uh, is doing a really good job as Brooke, playing against her stereotype of uh, Madison Montgomery. So uh, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I will say, I have a question for you right, right away. So we meet all the people, we get their, the graphics of their name on the screen, and they all immediately break the fourth wall. <laughs> They're looking at the camera, like winking at it, smiling, like Montana did. Do you think that means something? I, you know what I kind of took it as is more of an homage to a credit sequ- to a like mm-hmm. a opening sequence from I don't know take a show like maybe like Saved by the Bell or something Saved by like the Bell that. is exactly what I was yeah thinking where about. like you have the the actor's name pop up and then you have the actor like turn to the camera and like make a face or something like that you know and it's like oh here they're introducing yeah. him especially because with the names popping up I felt like maybe that was what they were doing I don't remember seeing any fourth wall breakage in the show after that sequence um is there anything in particular you feel like no happened? it was just in the beginning they, they only did it then and it's it, i i couldn't tell if, if, if that's going to mean something later on down the road because there's a lot of theories out there about what's really going to happen in the next in the second half of the season if there's like a twist that's going to happen and maybe breaking the fourth wall is part of that or if it's just an homage to the silliness of opening credit sequences uh, either I kind way, of it hope fun. it's just an homage. Yeah, I, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I'm, yeah. I'm reserving any judgment, but I'm hoping it's an homage. Another thing I just wanted to say is that, man, working out on carpet is gross. I can't believe that's something. <laughs> I didn't notice it was carpet. That, that is gross. Yeah. It's like, like this carpet in the bathroom. It's like this pink carpet that everyone, I mean, I guess if you're like lying around and rolling, it's easier than having mats out everywhere. But man, Get a yoga that's, mat. That's, that is nasty. <laughs> Uh, so let's, you know, we kind of meet this crew here, and everyone has their own little bit of a story. Um, real briefly, let's just kind of run through them. Montana's kind of the wild card that um, apparently had a fling with Xavier at one point in time after she rear-ended him. Um, she wants to be a professional aerobics instructor, what, like mm-hmm. instructor. one of the best aerobics instructors in the world. Um Xavier is an actor. He's participated in a few different kind of smaller role type things, but he's a method actor. You know, he's practiced with, yeah. he's trained with Stella Adler, so he's trained with the best. He uh, can really actor. embody, you know, the he embodies the character. Being a method actor is somebody who really um, doesn't just like, you know, kind of goof off until they're on camera and then all of a sudden step into character. They're even off camera. They're still in the mind of the character, in the head of the character. A little bit wondering if that's going to play a role at some point in this season. Because I think that's kind of an interesting and specific thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Gus's character, Chet, was an Olympic athlete. And do we remember what sport he was specifically in? We don't know which... We don't know which sport yet, so that's that was that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, obviously Gus Kenworthy, former Olympian, silver Skier, medalist, but this is the Summer Olympics, obviously. Exactly, yeah. So it's kind of funny to have him be the Olympic hopeful that we find out tr- tested positive, <laughs> right, for it, drugs. So, but right. So did he test positive for steroids? Because they, I think, uh, I think it's Ray who says something about roid rage later on. Yeah, later there's a yeah. Ray makes a reference of. Roid rage, but um, it, when Billy or uh, Montana is retelling the story of, uh, of Chet not making the Olympics, uh, he she says he peed out he peed out a pharmacy essentially. <laughs> so he may have been on a lot of things. But then there's some insinuations that maybe someone like spiked his pee or something. I, I, there's 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 backstory that we'll learn. But he it, didn't make more the Olympics. Of the story, and clearly, yeah, yeah, and clearly he's very bitter about that as we see later yes. when he throws the can. 
Uh, and then there's Ray, who I don't, I, I, I believe he did. We don't really know that much about his background yet. No, he's in. He works, I think, as a orderly in a hospital or something like that. So uh, he's like Montana makes up, a joke. Who yeah, is, he's like but, cleaning out bedpans and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, he's on the lowest um, level kind of. I can't remember what his aspirations are though. But he's our no, I don't person of color. Mm-hmm. Right. Which and is always have... in these cliche movies, there's always one <laughs> person of color. And normally that's the character who dies first. So let's hope that's not the mm-hmm. case in this particular situation. Right. Uh, I like Ray. Yeah, I like Ray too. Um, I think he might be, I certainly like him better than Chet so far. Yeah. A- and Xavier, actually. I think he's my favorite of the male counselors. And then, mm-hmm. of course, Brooks' backstory, we don't know much about there seems to be some kind of connection to that ring she has in mm-hmm. you know that ends up getting stolen i believe because uh, yes. she kind of opens her jewelry case and like gives it a longing look um, unclear whether it's a wedding ring whether it's a you know wing, ring from her mother or something like that but it looked she's... like an engagement ring to me but mm-hmm. we yeah again we don't it could be anything we don't know right and she looks very lonely the way she's living in this apartment yeah. by herself so maybe she's she's new in town she could be potentially running away from something we're not really clear She's taking classes, or she says she's taking classes at, I think, Santa Monica Community College, and she wants to be a veterinary assistant. Right. That's correct. That's correct. Now, uh, Brooke is kind of pulled into the circle because she maybe is attracted to Chet, and then Montana kind of, um, you know, wants there to be yeah, less testosterone in the kind of friend group, so she, she brings her in. Uh, the first thing they talk about is the Night Stalker. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's been this guy going around, uh, breaking into people's houses. There's been some stabbings. Um, Brooke seems to be a little bit, uh, you know, informed, I would say, suspiciously informed on the way killers operate. So wondering maybe if there's, I think we talked about this in the preview, that potentially there's some traumatic experience she's had in her past. Because um, mm-hmm. she says something about killers being more active in the summer because windows are open. Right. Now... Two, two points of note is that, first of all, the Night Stalker is a real person. Um, yes. This is, of course, Richard Ramirez, who was an American serial killer, rapist, and burglar in uh, the 80s. And his home invasion crime spree terrorized the residents of greater L.A. and I guess later of San Francisco from June 1984 until August 1985. And it was the media that actually dubbed him the, the Night Stalker. Uh, another person that they reference to to really kind of fit in with this 80s killers is um, David Richard Berkowitz, who was also known as Son of Sam. They say, well, the Night mm-hmm. Stalker might become the next Son of Sam. Um, the reason I know Son of Sam is, do you watch the show Mindhunter on Netflix at all? Yes. Oh, I watched the first season. I haven't seen the second mm. season. In the second season, one of the people they interview is actually Son of Sam. And so that's I was like, oh, I know awesome. that character. And what's funny is that, like, man, I, I hadn't seen the actual guy's picture before, but the guy that they have play him in Mindhunter like, on point. Looks, looks exactly like him. But, yeah, uh, another killer. That was a guy who terrorized New York um, with a bunch of killings in the, I think, late 70s. And so, you know, we're going to play up to kind of these killers of the 70s and 80s who were very media conscious, it seems like. They kind of had a mythos to them to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it really fits with where things are going with, you know, Mr. Jingles and Night Stalker and some of these people we're going to have going on. Yeah, it's worth noting also Richard Ramirez, who plays, uh, or well, who is the, uh, the Night Stalker, uh, he did briefly appear, or the character appeared in Hotel. That's right. Was he one of the ones that appeared Different in Different actor, the... though. Yeah. The dinner. The dinner that also had John Carroll Lynch uh, yep. in, in that same dinner. Yeah. Yep. 
So let's talk about the Night Stalker for a second. Uh, pretty um, coincidental that the same day that they're talking about the Night Stalker, of course, uh, Brooke gets yeah. terrorized by the Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. In what's a pretty scary home invasion scene in which she only survives by smacking him over the head with a um, cast iron skillet, I think it is, which those things are she heavy. Some, yeah, she was swinging a pan of some sort around. Yeah, yeah I thought yeah, it was. A little I, Emma Roberts swinging that, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it didn't knock him out or anything like that, but it was enough to piss him off. And when the neighbor starts banging about calling the police, he gets out of there fast. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it seems to be that that provokes him to, um, that provokes her to leave. But apparently, you know, the Night Stalker says he's, he's still, he's going to find her. He's going to track her down specifically. She's a target. After he made her swear to Satan that there was no more jewelry in the house. And speaking of which, this is something else we talked about being very uh, on point with 80s stuff is this idea of there kind of being these Satanist cults and a lot of people being driven mm-hmm. by the devil. And so we get that right off the bat as well. Yep, satanic panic. Everyone was starting to think that there was these secret satanic cults that were infiltrating, you know, music and sending subliminal messages to kids on TV and in and in songs and you know silliness. But yeah. So the crew heads to Camp Redwood um, in their awesome camper van that we talked about mm-hmm. being kind of the a Scooby Doo van. To, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Ray's got his blow, which is a uh, pretty staple 80s drug good lord he's uh, doing a lot of it too like that kid <laughs> should be having a heart attack he's always has anyway that was too much coke <laughs> i'm already digging the use of the soundtrack I, i'm hoping that somebody is putting together a american horror story 1984 soundtrack for us on spotify or something like that that we can plug into i think we had a, this sequence somebody's watching me by michael jackson which was great also mm-hmm. like you know, the lyrics are a little uh, on point, as we said. Um, they make a pit stop at Roy's gas station. This is pretty much your, your very typical 80s scene where you, you stop at a local watering hole or, you know, someplace where, like, oh, you know, you can't go to that camp. That's been closed for years because of these horrible murders. Um, a couple things to note in this gas station exchange. First one is we learn that Xavier has maybe some kind of darker secret that he's not revealing. Yeah. Um, he calls into his voicemail system, and he I believe the message is, you can't just take your dick and walk away. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Yeah. Who do you think that was? We don't really know, do we? No. I mean, you know, is was he in some kind of relationship that he's running away from that was maybe unhealthy? You know, what is what exactly is the situation there? Not entirely clear, but it makes you wonder if there's something besides just getting out of the city for the summer that's driving Xavier to Camp Redwood. Another thing worth noting right. is, of course, you have the gas, the, the stereotypical gas station tenant that said, oh, you should never open up. They should have never opened that camp again. You're all going to die. Um, interesting mm-hmm. fact. Do you know who is playing this gas station attendant? I didn't look it up, but he looked familiar. Who was it? It's Don Swayze, who is Patrick Swayze's brother. He is known what? for being in a, a number of dramatic series, kind of character actor staple, but he's been in soap operas and other things as well. But the reason he might look familiar is because he kind of looks like Patrick Swayze, who is obviously, you know, from everything, totally um, Dirty looks Dancing, like Swayze. Uh, Roadhouse. Yeah, so many fan- phenomenal movies of the 80s. That's awesome. Oh, that's why he looked familiar, because I don't think I've ever seen that guy in a, something, but yeah, very striking resemblance. Right. Um, you can definitely see it. I think his contemporary in Friday the 13th Part 1 and 2 is Crazy Ralph, who's the guy who rides around on his bike telling the kids they're all going to die. Yes, yes. I think that, well, either that or also the truck driver that takes the girl in his truck and is like, you're all going to die there, too. 
Right, right. I mean, right. Also, this is kind of a Halloween reference later on. Well, we'll get to it. Okay. Well, so we, we have the moment that we said is maybe more like pulled from um, I Know What You Did Last Summer or something like that, where they hit the guy who's, you know, walking in the middle of the street um, because they're, you know, hitting the bong while driving. I believe Xavier's driving at the time, um, is, you know, really wants to cover it up immediately. Uh, this guy, it's, it's unclear what's happening here. He already had some mysterious injuries, it looks like. Maybe he's been living in the woods. They peg him as a hiker, but I, I don't think that's what it is. Um, yeah. His line that he says to them is, you got to believe me, I tried. So we're not really sure what's happening with him. Um, this is actor Lou Taylor Pucci, I believe, who has appeared in a, a number of different role, uh, movies, including 2005's Thumbsucker, which he won an award for. Um mm-hmm. But seems like maybe he's dead now. Uh, I guess we're not really sure whether that was just in Brooks' mind or whether he's he's actually dead. Yeah, right. But at this particular moment, they throw him into the van and they're gonna, you know, say that they just found him on the side of the road and they take him, of course, to yep. nurse Rita to get all uh, cleaned up. Uh, and then, of course, we pull into Camp Redwood, which I will say looks really beautiful. Do you know where this was filmed? I don't actually. That's a good question. We'll, yeah, we'll look uh, we'll look that up before next episode. But if someone happens to know, I think last time we, we solicited if anybody has actually you know seen. seen the, uh, it's always fun when somebody happens to be where the taping is. But this seems like potentially a little bit more remote. So um, we'll have to do a little bit of digging and see exactly where the camp is is taking place. But of course, at the camp is where we meet Margaret Booth, Leslie Grossman, camp director. Uh, and so it's so. Help me clarify this real quick. This is the year that the Olympics are taking place in L.A., right? And that's why Correct. there's, I think Arita says at one point, you know, why are all these people who aren't particularly qualified to work at a camp working at a camp for the first time? Well, Leslie Grossman says that it's because they're short on, it's hard to find people to work because everyone's doing work for the Olympics. Right. There's a lot of good temp work that pays really well during the Olympics, so that's where everyone's at, mm-hmm. getting those jobs. Hence, they show up. Well, I guess essentially it was just supposed to be Xavier is the one camp counselor, but he fortunately brings uh, a few other people <laughs> along. Otherwise, it would have just been him. I don't know. But yeah, they're yeah. all... Yeah, especially because the kids are about are coming the next day. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. Like um, no one had to apply or anything. They just showed up. Right. Uh, this comes a little bit later, but while we're introducing her, we might as well talk about it now. The thing we learned about Margaret Booth, of course, is that she was one of the almost murder victims that Mr. Jingles... Uh, mm-hmm. stabbed in the cabin that year and took her ear. She does the big mm-hmm. ear reveal around the campfire. Um, she, when she was lying there and like the way that she explains, you know, not be, not screaming and being super silent is that she had some kind of religious experience and mm-hmm. that's kind of what saved her. And to this day, now she she's getting over her demons by reopening Camp Redwood as basically a Bible camp or at least like a camp driven by religious purity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although she doesn't really seem to care that much that the kids are kind of laughing. Yeah. She's pissed at him, but she, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, of course, we also mentioned Nurse Rita, who is Angel- played by Angelica Ross. Um, already think she's an awesome character. She's seems great. to be kind of one of our uh, more reasonable people. Mm-hmm. Um, Level-headed. She'll yeah, make smart choices. Not one of the ones that's, like, so stubborn that they're... You know, I, Mar- we already know this from the season preview, but Margaret's going to be one of these people who, like, refuses to close the camp because she's so stubborn or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think Nurse... I think Nurse Reed is going to be our, our voice of reason to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, we also meet Chef Birdie, and I didn't write down who this particular actor was. Uh, but she's, this is also interesting because this particular character has been around for many years since Margaret was a counselor at the camp. So she remembers Mr. Jingles Story. as well, wondering if she'll become a more prominent character. Interesting that she's coming back after the horrors that happened at the camp. And maybe she knows Mr. Jingles, or she must know Mr. Jingles because Mr. Jingles was basically like the janitor of the camp and she was the cook. So, right. Uh, so, I mean, Mar- Margaret, of course, goes a little bit more um, deeper into kind of her purity complex, uh, tells the kids she doesn't want them, you know, no drinking, no sex. She says there's not many rules, but then she kind of lays out a, a fair number of rules, um, no being in each other's cabins after hours. Uh, she mentions that she was involved in the fight against Larry, or like the, the court case against Larry Flint, <laughs> Larry Flint in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, of course, the porn magnate of uh, the magazine Hustler. Um, so She's very close friends with Charles Keating. Yeah, who was the guy who kind of, the anti-porn Prosecuted. advocate who kind yeah. of yeah led that charge. So I don't know if we're just throwing in period references, references here. Or if that, yeah. yeah, right. Um, but she used her dead husband's money to build the camp. Um, I think a small her portion of his large money. <laughs> right. So also, we don't really know anything, any background oh, yeah. on her husband's death. No. So that could Except, be something nope. that we see later, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, around the campfire, we get a little bit more of the first-person cam, and then we get the real detailed story of Mr. Mr. Jingles, um, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Benjamin Richter, of course, played by right. John Carroll Lynch. Um, he's called Mr. Jingles because of his keys. He's a Vietnam veteran who had a high kill rate, and... Probably post-traumatic stress syndrome is what it would seem. I'm imagining, yeah. Um, he would wear ears as a necklace as like his souvenir type trophy. thing, like you had said, his trophy. Uh, this is potentially an allusion to a number of different kind of Vietnam-era nostalgia, but Apocalypse Now, I believe there's a character where there is a ear necklace specifically. Um, so, you know, this is pulled from real war movies. Real life. Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a job as a janitor. I mean, honestly, it sounds like the guy just is super screwed up from probably horror, horrors he saw in Vietnam. So mm-hmm. let's let's hope they don't. I mean, you and I are always very wary of them building too much sympathy into a bad guy. So let's hope they don't dive too much into that. And, and I mean, yeah. let him just be a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, and let's see. I, I think, you know, Jingles is, is now in an asylum, we know, because he breaks out later. And, you know... Back in the, while they're kind of here around the campfire, back in the infirmary, um, our quote-unquote hiker wakes up and is kind of staring at himself in the mirror, and he too is missing an ear. Now, we don't right. know if this has happened since he was hit by the car, I believe, or if this has ha- had happened before. He's got the long hair hiding it. It looked it looked like it was an old wound, so I, mean, I imagine. It, yeah, it, it looked maybe potent, like maybe healed. I would agree with that. Yeah, like, like maybe he was also around in 1970. Um, I, I mean, that I would know, have been I've, 14 years ago at that point, and that guy looked pretty young. So I, it, it, that's right. what's a little curious about it, you know. Maybe there's somebody right. else who's trophy collecting. Right. Is there a, a copycat killer? Right. Which, again, is, is another thing that uh, in the 70s and 80s with these serial killers, that was yeah. not uncommon. I can't remember if you mentioned it or not, but when they hit him on the road uh, and he grabs Brooke's hand, he tells her, you got to believe me, I tried. But that's right. all we ever know, so. Yeah, and then, of course, when Brooke goes to check on him, he freaks out and says, you know, you shouldn't be here. You're all going to die mm-hmm. when she says that they're at Camp Redwood. So it is clear that he has he's aware of what Camp Redwood is, has some past experience with it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, one character we hadn't introduced yet is Matthew Morrison as Trevor, the activities director. Um, <laughs> He's pretty great. This is a pretty hilarious character already. I love his 80s mustache, as I had said before. Um, he was cut from the Jane Fonda workout video because he has a um, Wompy massive, very visible dong. Uh, <laughs> and Montana's immediately intrigued, and they go skinny dipping in <laughs> Montana the... immediately just runs outside and takes her clothes off and gets in the lake. <laughs> Well, apparently she was aware of him prior to this and it, uh, was a fangirl of sorts. Uh, yeah. Groupie, we could say. Uh, like but that. you know, they're, like, they're... he must have seen a bootlegged VHS version, but <laughs> still like is making the black market rounds or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course that ends up uh, not working out because there's some mysterious car watching from the shore. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe, yeah. unless the timelines are, you know, unless our parallel timelines are kind of uh, happening in a, in a different way. I don't believe this would be Mr. Jingles yet. Cause I don't think he had gotten the truck from, you know, Royce gas station yet. So it could potentially be the night stalker. It could be somebody else, unless we are supposed to believe that at this point, Mr. Jingles was already out. I think it was because I think, I think it's supposed to, well, I, I took it as Mr. Jingles after we saw the next part of it, which is surprise, surprise, classic American horror story, another flashback. <laughs> and it says right. three hours oh, okay. earlier. So, so the asylum break was supposed to be a flashback, you think? Yes, it is. It said three hours earlier. Oh, it does say three hours earlier. Sorry, yeah, because when he that part in yeah, we we see Mr. Jingles faking his hanging. Okay, and I guess we do see Mr. We see we do see Mr. Jingles like looking at the camp from across the river later. So it must exactly. be it must be him. Okay, sorry about that. Um, yeah, back at the asylum, we have some interest. So, a couple things I want to point out here. We have what seems to be some kind of agent maybe fbi or something like that this is played by uh, we don't know the name yet but it's played by actress orla brady who is an irish actress you can kind of get okay. her accent a little bit she's starting a doctor who special is what mm. she may be known for and she greets who appears to be maybe the director of the asylum uh do you know who this actor is do you recognize no him? no uh, i sort of he kind of reminds me of dr loomis but who is it walter skinner from the x-files is where you might know him from. oh okay cool cool i guess he was also in sons of anarchy and some other shows as well um, but his actor's name is Mitch Pileggi. Okay. And, of course, Benjamin Richter, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Jingles, um, is the one who let everybody on the, out on, on the loose, right? Um, he Tyler, fake, Tyler. Like he's... Why is there a release all button <laughs> at an asylum? <laughs> Great question. You know, fire drill in case, you know, there was a fire. You, like, you need oh. to be able to let everybody out. Uh, One thing that I thought that you know potentially this reminded me of the kind of fake hanging is the Goonies. Mm-hmm. This is how uh, mm, at the very beinning of the Goonies, eighties. Mm-hmm, uh, one of the the I don't remember what the family's last name is, but kind of the criminal family. The way they get the guy out of jail is that he fakes his own hanging and then like beats up the cop who comes to let him out. And so potentially a reference there. Uh, immediately gets his keys and starts jingling. He seems to kind of have a weird affinity for the sound of keys. I thought that was a little. Yeah, almost uh, erotic, and then um, next to the as the, you know, jumping back to the you know kind of FBI potential agent who's investigating. Next to the bed, she finds the article about Camp Redwood reopening, which appears to be what motivated Mister Jingles to escape from the asylum. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, you know, back at the gas station, Ed uh, has a feeling that there's an intruder. This is, of course, Patrick Swayze's brother, as we talked about before. And here we get a very dramatic 80s slasher kill. The car smashing him and then his head effectively getting curb End stomped. End of the head stomp. Yeah. So This I mean, this is the Halloween reference I was talking about earlier. Uh, when Michael 
Myers escapes from the Haddonfield Asylum, he uh, murders a mechanic and steals his uh, coveralls. That becomes kind of Michael Myers' iconic outfit. So in this situation, also I think in the remake of, uh, or not the remake, the sequel that they just did of Halloween, Michael Myers steals a car from someone. And so this is how Mr. Jingles, you know, gets the uh, car. Gets his vehicle. Right. Mm -hmm. To drive over to the lake. Yeah. And again, another kind of interesting and gross kill iconic from, Mm -hmm. from this era. Back at the cabin, everyone's watching the Parade of Nations. Chet's getting pissed. <laughs> Ends up hurting Ray by throwing the can at him. They... That's it. Like, I mean, was he, was he in baseball? To, to throw a crumpled up can to cut someone's hand that badly? He's got to have an arm. Maybe it's shot put? Well, maybe there was some still some liquid in the can or something like that. It made it a little yeah. bit heavier. I don't Javelin? know. But it, it appears that maybe Ray and Brooke are going to have a little thing. They kind of almost had a moment. They did have a moment. I thought that was cute, mm-hmm. you know? Ray needs to chill off the coke, but uh, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and then, of course, we have Bra- uh, Brooks kind of montage at the infirmary. She sees the hiker dead and hung up on the back of the door. Jingles is there chasing her. We get our woods chase, you know. And I liked how this scene was particularly cut in juxtaposition to the Loved opening ceremony, it. the Olympics. Yeah, it's, it's kind torch. of yeah. There's kind of some dissonance, but it was also really fun. Um, it was great. We had already asked for a woods chase scene, so I, they already hit a lot of our classic 80s stuff right here off the bat. Um, right. You know, Trevor and company go out to search for Mr. Jingles after Brooke arrives and says that, you know, oh, he's chasing me, but they don't find anything. There's also nobody in the infirmary. So the question here, of course, is, is Brooke going crazy or is this really the case? We know Mr. Jingles right. is out, so it's unlikely she's going crazy. So is Mr. Jingles the one who removed the hiker's body? That part isn't really clear. And we already are now seeing one of the also uh, large tropes in slasher movies is how quickly the killers can clean up the bodies if this body did, did in fact, exist. Correct. Correct. That is definitely a trope. And then finally, um, we kind of get our... Oh, sorry. Is there something else you wanted no, to say first? I, I, well, yeah. No, let's let's go through it. I'll have, I'll have questions for you after this. A little well, bit. I just want to talk about final scene, yeah. kind of our cliffhanger for this particular episode. Brooke answers the payphone. I don't think there's anybody there. Maybe heavy breathing? Not entirely clear. Um, we do see the first person cam, so she's being watched. Uh, and then the Night Stalker steps out of the woods. Not clear if the first person cam was supposed to be the Night Stalker. But, you know, right. it seems like next episode is going to immediately pick up with her being confronted by this guy already again. Right. And that's where we leave off. So, uh, go, you had a question for me. Hit, yes. hit me. My question for you. Is Brooke a reliable narrator at this point? At this point, I feel like she is. I know she's not really the narrator, but is she... I don't feel like we know enough about her background to think any differently. I mean, I know she had the traumatic experience with the Night Stalker back in her house, but... You know, she she fought him off. That was, like, legitimate that she was upset mm-hmm. by that. It wasn't anything in her head. And I don't know that we've seen any other evidence of her being unstable or having, like, paranoid visions. Right, right. Not yet. There's a lot of background, I think, on all of our characters that we're going to find out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're hiding a few things. Like, you know, exactly. Montana, she sleeps with a knife. Mm-hmm. Also, she slept in her full clothes, which I thought was weird. <laughs> it, um, it's cold, maybe. I don't know. She, yeah. She's like... Why you, she's like, or Brooke asked why she slept with the knife. She says because I have a suspicious nature. You know, uh, Xavier's getting that checks his voicemail. Has that weird call. Everyone's got something to hide still, which I find exciting. Totally, and I think it, even Brooke does. Yeah, and I think that's really good for you know drama as the season unfolds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at this point, I do think we don't yet have any reason to believe 
Brooke was seeing visions of something, in my opinion. Right. Do you think there is another killer out there besides Mr. Jingles and the Night Stalker? Yes, I do. And I think it's <gasps> And I think it's going to be somebody at, I think it's somebody we already know. I think it's going to be yeah. somebody at the camp is already a killer because that seems fitting for this genre. It'll be a little bit of a who done it as we try to figure out who the person is. Mm-hmm. Um I think yes, I think there's a third killer involved somehow. I think so too. I mean, I once once the Night Stalker showed up at the end, I was getting very big Freddy versus Jason vibes, which also takes place partly in like a suburban area, but then they end it at Camp Crystal Lake, which is where Jason Voorhees and that camp was. Uh, so if we have like Night, Night Stalker versus Mr. Jingles versus whoever our, our wild card murderer serial killer is, it, it's going to be fun. Yeah. The last thing I'm going to also say is that um, very early premature guess. I do think Margaret is a little bit of an interesting character with her kind of rebel, something's you know, up. Something's there, up. There seems like there's maybe a little bit something else there. I don't know. How how does Margaret wear glasses with one ear? <laughs> that is a very important practical question that we should be asking. Mm-hmm. I did not even think about that. Great question, Chris Houston. Great question. <laughs> um, so um, let's go. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You got another question nope, first? Nope. Nope. So a little bit more taking a step back and thinking about the show in general. How, how do you feel about these new actors after the first episode? I think they're doing a good job. Um, I think they're really leaning into the silliness of, you know, recreating an 80s slasher homage. Uh, I think some of them are a bit stronger than others. Um, I have my MVPs and LVPs, even though I don't think they're like LVP. But uh, I, I think overall the cast is, they're striking the right notes. And the characters are hilarious and over the top, but that's what I come to expect from uh, American Horror Story. I do hope eventually it evolves into something a little smarter because we've already, like you said, we've hit all the marks that we expect to see in uh, an 80s B-movie horror slasher film. Mm-hmm. So if uh, I hope they kind of offer something beyond eventually, just the wink to the audience that they know what they're doing. They know the, this subgenre very well. Right. Um, but I think the actors so far are doing great. Well, let's hear what your MVP. Think? I want to hear first your MVPs yep. and stuff, and then I'll do mine. MVP, I, I have... <sighs> I'm I'm gonna go with so the MVPs I think are the ladies in the cast right now. I think Leslie Grossman's doing a very good job of being like weird and distant. I think Nurse Rita is great. She's she's almost acting too well, <laughs> like she's like actually playing a good character, where everyone else is being a little like too much. Well, um, well yeah, they're more being like 80s 80s stupid kind of cliche slasher yeah. stupid. Yeah, and yeah. she's like and the one who's like you guys know what the fuck's going on here, right? Yes, exactly, and. Uh, Billy Lord and Emma Roberts are doing a great job with their characters. I think the LVPs are the guys, not because they're doing a bad job. I just think the ladies are doing a really strong job. And the guys, and I mean, I, we haven't gotten a lot from Gus Kenworthy yet. He's doing okay. I think he's doing fine. And Ray, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he seems okay. But yeah, mm-hmm. so that's MVPs and LVPs. What, what are you thinking? That's fair. I think my MVPs right now are, I do I do want to commend Emma Roberts for doing a great job so far. I think mm-hmm. in, you know, she's, she's coming off as that kind of um, innocent character that is very different from the character she played in the past. Um, but also, yes, I think that uh, Nurse Rita, great character so far, really enjoying her. And I also think actually Matthew Morrison as Trevor is a really funny character. He's like, great, actually, yeah. He's Mr. Schuster. Yeah, <laughs> like, liking him a lot in this role. I think he's hilarious at, the, at this point in time. Gus Kenworthy, I'm a little cooler on. I thought that he was a little bit one note. 
Um, I also like realize now that he, he has a striking resemblance to Richard Madden from Game of Thrones and oh. uh, the Bodyguard. Yeah, totally. Which is yeah. kind of funny, but you know, he, this is this is only his first episode. I'm hoping he's going to grow into it a little bit. But I, I mean, and it's also he's playing kind of the '80s jock, so he's fitting the part. But yeah, he was maybe my least favorite of the ones we had so far. So with all that being said, uh, let's hear your rating. Okay. Um, I, I'm assuming we're probably going to do Severed Ears. Yes. Yes, we are. Are we going to do this out of five? Or do we, we do out of five and we add them together, right? That's right. I, and we do quarters of, of an ear? Sure. If you want to, you can, but you have to specify which quarter. Okay. The lobe. I, <laughs> the lobe, yeah. <laughs> I give this four and one quarter of an ear i.e. Uh, a lobe so 4.25 severed ears that is i loved solid. it i thought this was a I, I thought this was a great opener it was fun it hit every mark i wanted it to and i'm just excited that they did it right and i'm also giving it higher than i normally would because i'm just afraid it's gonna go downhill for in four more episodes Wow, you know, your rating just boosted my rating. I was going to give it a four, and I was like, <laughs> I thought that's pretty solid, but your argument right there was it was perfect. I, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I'm impressed by Ooh. how self-aware it was. I think that it, yeah. it's bringing in the 80s references. It's bringing in the 80s music. It's already hit on a lot of the, like, I'm impressed by how many of the things that we discussed in the preview it's already employing. Um, the characters are fun. That said, you know, like like you just specified, it, it is a concern of mine that this is going to sustain itself over the course of a whole season because we already did hit a yeah. lot of these in the first episode. So there's going to have to be you, some more yeah. layers. Yeah, we're going to have there's, to see how it's sustained. The story is going to change for sure. It's going to have to because there's no way you can do what normally takes place in an hour and 20 or hour 30 minutes in for 10 episodes. But that, That's right. just and too I, tall of an order. Right. So, I mean, hey, that's uh, – so four – I gave it four and a half. You gave it – so that's – we're looking at – 8.75 that might be the highest that might be one of the highest, highest we've ever given any certainly episode the, i want to say maybe one of the highest at least the highest um season opener yeah so that's that's yeah. impressive strong start yeah. strong start of course we get the preview then for you know the whole rest of the season um they're bringing in more fun 80 stuff we got some spin the bottle we have some dead bodies abounding and interesting kills a lot of more skinny people dipping running around more skinny dipping not a whole lot of children, so wondering what happens there. Yeah, maybe they don't show up, which I wouldn't. If I was a parent, I probably wouldn't send my kid to this camp. Uh, true, I I don't think I would either. So we'll see how many people are actually there when that happens. Um, yeah, but overall, I think that's a great start. Cannot wait to discuss further next week. In the meantime, folks, you can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash This American Horror Story. Post your thoughts on this first episode. We want to hear all about it. And also you can email us your uh, personal takes at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com, and we are excited to bring those into the for um, next episode uh, for episode two. Chris, where can people find you between now and next week? Instagram and Twitter at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? You can find me on Twitter at tjmoss 11 Folks, thanks so much for listening. Welcome back. We're so excited to uh, enjoy American Horror Story 1984 with you. And until next week, happy hauntings. Happy hauntings.